Okay, welcome to the first episode of Another Miss Shift. This is your host, Alan Risher, with my co-host, Pete Terwilliger. Uh, I, today, I guess we'll have our first official episode. Um, I guess the first one was really just a, a pilot episode to get things kicked off, and now we're, we're ready to get things going. You know, it's been about a month since our first episode aired, but we're hoping to post a little more frequently. But um, yeah, we can, uh, we'll, we'll see where we get with that. Yeah, both Alan and I travel a lot for work. So, um, you know, we're on completely different schedules a lot of times. So we try to fit it in. Um, we both had a lot of work travel in January, but um, I think from here on out, we're going to be fairly consistent. So episode zero was kind of just, you know, first episode, Let's test out the equipment, see how everything sounds, that sort of thing. So this is, in our heads, our first uh, actual episode. Yeah, that sounds good so, to me. So today we're going to be talking about um, gas cars versus electric cars. And I know this is something, obviously, that has been talked about a lot. But um, I don't think Alan and I have talked about it too much in depth. So I'm interested to see what he has to say about it and kind of see what his experiences have been with electric cars and we can just kind of share our thoughts. So, um, I guess to start off, uh, what experience do you have with electric cars? If any, um, I actually don't have any experience with electric cars. I've never driven one before. I've driven a Prius at some point, but I've never driven a purely electric car. I would actually love to go test drive a Tesla or even something like a Chevy Volt something to to try the all electric experience i did go to a porsche dealership the other day and saw the new Taycan, uh but they wouldn't let me drive that because it was two hundred and five thousand dollars. so that was probably um off limits for me at least for the time being but yeah never driven one yet have you had an opportunity to drive anything so the only one i've ever driven is a nissan leaf and um so you know it's a it's a really small car obviously um so for how small it is, you know, thinking that it's normally just going to have a four-cylinder tiny engine on it, um, it actually had a lot of pickup, just like immediately, you know, the second you put your foot down on the pedal, it just goes. Now, after that kind of initial like boost, it kind of dies off fairly quick. It's not, there's not much after that, but it was, it was just kind of unusual to, to experience that. Um, I'm sure you know, obviously millions of people have tried out Teslas and, and probably have way, way, way more experience than us. Um, and probably more, <laughs> more, uh, opinions on electric cars than we do having, you know, not much experience, but I think in general, um, you know, with Alan and I appreciating gas cars so much, um, I think there's a lot of resistance from people who enjoy gas cars where it's, it's almost like they don't even have a desire to, try an electric car out that much because I don't know if that legitimizes it a little bit or I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? No, that's a good point. I, I think that I was super skeptical of electric cars, even up to, you know, a year or two ago. It's not something that I would ever consider. I thought it was, you know, any enthusiast wouldn't have an electric car. Mm-hmm. They didn't make sense to me. And plus, I think that prior to Tesla, all the, you know, the hybrids and the electrics, nobody was making a very good looking electric car either. It's just mm-hmm. not something that appealed to me. But as time goes by and you see the success of Tesla, which I think is cool, you know, it's an American car company and they're revolutionizing the industry. And you see 
other companies like Audi and Porsche come out with all electric models. And the news is that a lot of these companies are eventually going to go full electric. I think we're still a ways off, but it's a, it's a reality. And I think that they're making, you know, better, more desirable cars and cars that I would actually consider myself. I think there's so many different reasons why they make a lot of sense, uh, not only for a, uh, you know, your average buyer out there, but also for car enthusiasts. Uh, I mean, what, I think one of the most telling things is Christian von Koenigsegg drives a Tesla Model 3 daily. And this is a guy that, you know, creates some... Really? Of the I didn't know that. Yeah. I, somebody told me that the other day. He said the, the Tesla Model 3 is what he daily drives. He said it's the perfect daily driver, gives him everything he needs, super comfortable, tons of torque. And then he goes and he builds these amazing hypercars. So uh, if it's good enough for Christian von Koenigsegg, it's probably good enough for Pete and Alan. <laughs> so what do you think about um, car companies that are taking existing uh, um, car models that they have and switching them over to electric versus coming out with brand new models that are all electric. The, the The reason I thought of this was I just saw an article yesterday that the Porsche Macan is going to be an all electric vehicle only in, hmm. in three years. Wow. And so, um, and they're not going to make at that point forward, they're not going to make any more um, gas versions of the Macan. And so I was just kind of thinking, it seems like some car companies are taking existing cars that they have and they're making a hybrid version, and then they're going to come out with an electric version, whereas others are just keeping the the existing gas models they have, and they're coming out with completely new models. Yeah, I think that's actually, um, that's a really interesting question. And I think there's a place for both, both uh, avenues. I think in one sense, it for a car company that's got heritage and an existing product line, for them to go electric it uh, it might be easier for their customers to understand what that car is. So, you know, Ford. Talk, I haven't really researched the new kind of E Mustang or whatever the the Mustang. Uh, yeah, the uh, Mach Mach E, isn't it called? Right. Mach-E? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But I think that them tying that in with a Mustang brand kind of gives their buyers an understanding of what that car might be. It kind of skewing more towards the performance oriented buyer, mm-hmm. somebody that wants something a little bit sporty versus car companies that are coming out with a completely new model. It gives them an opportunity to maybe, you know, reinvent or, or uh, uh, create something new, but they also have to spend a lot of money in marketing, telling their customers what it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, where does it fit in the line compared to the existing cars? Why would I buy this over that? Uh, so it, it's a, it's a tough thing. I'm sure they have to do some balancing, you know, on, on how they want to articulate that. Yeah. Um, one interesting thing, I don't know if you saw, speaking of Mustang, um, at the SEMA show in Las Vegas this year, uh, Ford had an all electric, uh, Mustang, not, not the Mach-E, it was just just the normal Mustang that you think of. Um, but it was an all electric Mustang, but it had a six speed manual gearbox on it. Hmm. And so you could actually shift 
Um, now I'm not a hundred percent sure what you are shifting, but, um, it's, it's just, probably, it, I guess it would just be shifting gear ratios. So yeah. the, the, the Taycan has a two speed transmission where yeah. the Teslas are direct drive. It's just one speed. So the, I guess that's interesting. I don't know if it allows you to go to a smaller electric motor because you get a torque advantage by using a transmission, but that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah. So, and apparently that car had 900 horsepower. So, you know, I, I feel like with these car companies doing this, they're kind of, um, testing the waters a little bit to kind of gauge people's response and see what people think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think muscle cars are interesting because, uh, you know, muscle cars have always been about power and, and, and internal combustion engines with as much horsepower as you can possibly fit under the hood. And, um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, what the Camaro and the Mustang and the Challenger, uh, and the Charger, what's going to happen to those models as everything, you know, continues to move more and more electric or, you know, eventually are you going to have only electric muscle cars? You know, I, I don't know. What do you think? I think that's the tougher sell because on for muscle cars, the engine is such a core component of the experience and why buyers are drawn to those vehicles. It's the sound, um, it's the the power, and that's the main selling point. You know, you're not buying a Camaro or a Mustang or a Charger for the interior in the luxury or anything like that. It's a lot of it's the engine. So, um, Mm -hmm. I think those will be more difficult, but on the flip side of the coin, I mean, you, we see what these electric cars can do in the quarter mile. And, and a lot of these muscle car guys are taking their cars to the drag strip. So when they put up the big or really the low numbers in the quarter mile time, maybe, maybe it's something that, uh, will be forgotten, you know, relatively quickly. And it's just kind of going to appeal to a younger set of buyers. Um, it's just kind of the way it's going. I think it's a tougher sell on cars, muscle cars, but I think the the thing that's been most thought provoking for me is the Porsche Cayman and the Porsche Boxster. When Porsche went to a four cylinder motor on those cars, they instantly became, you know, I won't say completely unappealing to me, but much less appealing than when they had the flat six. And I actually drove a Porsche 718 Cayman two weeks ago. I went to the dealership and I I test drove a a base model. And in my opinion, just the, the engine didn't have that much character. And at that point, it becomes less of an engine and more of just kind of a power unit in general. So if it doesn't sound good and it doesn't add anything to the driving experience, would you rather just have an electric motor anyway? Because then at least it's different and you have all the benefits of the electric motor. It's it's the instant torque. There's no service cost. You don't have to worry about gas. It's uh, I don't know if uh, it'd be interesting to see how the weight on something like a Cayman uh, panned out, but if you're not getting all the, the, you know, the cool stuff that comes along with an internal combustion engine, I'm actually pro going electric in, in those circumstances. Um, do you think that, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think it, it makes sense or are you still wanting them to hold on to the, the gas powered motors? 
Yeah, no, I think it's it's going to go all electric eventually. Um, now, doesn't this is I partially because I'm fairly naive about electric cars, but um, don't most electric cars? So you have the battery uh, along the floor in the middle of the car, which is going to help with handling as far as bringing some mm-hmm. of the weight back towards the middle of the car. Lower center of gravity. Yeah, l- lower center of gravity. Exactly. So I mean, I think that you know may- maybe it'll increase the handling of these cars. Um, I feel like. Uh, so Porsche, for example, if there's going to be one car company, that's going to be the last to hold out. I feel like they will always keep a purists 911, hopefully naturally aspirated manual gearbox, you know, internal combustion engine. I feel like that if there's any car company that's going to have the last of that, it would be Porsche. But I also think Porsche's trying to be on the forefront of uh, electric performance cars as well. So I think you might have car companies that are kind of doing that where they still have some models where they're going to have that. And then they have others where, um, you know, they're, they're leading the way on electric. So, yeah, I, I think that I actually might disagree. Um, really? I believe that Porsche will continue. I mean, obviously they're going to continue the 911, and I think they're going to continue to produce it with a, a gas engine for a while. The question is, does a company like Dodge, uh, are they the last ones? Because, you mm-hmm. know, I don't, I don't know that Chrysler, I don't know what their plans are for electric cars or something like that, but it seems like they're certainly not, uh, first of the party and i wonder if something like a dodge charger the dodge challenger kind of like the the last cars to receive um the electric treatment or maybe they don't even go electric and they just kind of you know die off at some point they sell them as long as they possibly can but then it's just uh, a failing business model but yeah i guess that's very possible yeah the the one I could see a situation where those car companies that don't adapt just die off. So Porsche ends up being the last car with a internal combustion engine purely because they're still in business and they're they're able to do it, and it becomes a novelty item. Yeah, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see kind of where things go. The other thing too is um, it'll be really interesting, I think, to see what what part the government's going to play in this whole thing um with emission standards and stuff like that i feel like they're going to push people push car makers and push people towards electric vehicles even more so than they're doing right now as time goes on um i also yeah and i also think just the availability of charging stations is going to continue to skyrocket so yeah, but anyways, as far as the government goes, that'll be really interesting too because you wonder if if at a certain point in time, maybe it's 15 to 20 years off, is there going to be a certain point where they just they just don't allow internal combustion engines? Yeah. And everything has to be electric. I I think that'll eventually come. I I mm-hmm. I really do. But uh yeah, I think that it's going to be a while though, just because you've got so many vehicles on the road, people want to hang on to their cars and it's going to take a long time for that to phase out. So, you know, I don't know if our parents' generation will see that, but I think towards maybe the end of our lifetimes, we'll see things moving that direction for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'd I can like say personally see- that, I, that I'm, I am so much more open to the, for me personally, buying an electric car for a daily driver, just it fits my lifestyle. I don't do a lot of long distance driving. Now it's good that 
you know, we have a gas vehicle and I think that you kind of need one for road trips and things like that, unless you want to, you know, stop off and but down here in Tennessee and, and Mississippi, there's just not that many places. So it's nice to have the extra range of a gas vehicle, but uh, for day to day, I think that an electric car is way more practical than, an, than, a um, a gas, a gas vehicle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. If you're driving around the city, I think that, um, it, it definitely makes sense, especially if, if your work has wherever you're going during the day has, has a charging station, you know, most, I, I think a lot of those charging stations, especially if it's like at an office building or something like that, you know, you don't have to pay. You just, um, plug your vehicle in, mm-hmm. um, which would be great. But I'm also curious, I haven't talked uh, with someone who has an electric vehicle and um, has shared the utility costs um, for charging, you know, every day, you know, whatever their utility costs were before. And then they get an electric vehicle and they're charging it every single night when they get home. You know, what is that? How, how much is that costing them? I, I would guess it's it's significantly less than it would cost to fill up a tank of gas every week. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think I think you're right. I think it's quite a bit less. I'm sure there is a little bit of an increase, but not even close to what you're paying in fuel for uh for a gasoline engine. Yeah. It would also be interesting, you know, because talking about being more environment environmentally friendly. When, you know, obviously when you're charging a battery, you're getting your power from somewhere and that power could be coming from a coal fired power plant. It could be coming from wind energy. It could be coming from a nuclear power plant. So, you know, uh, until, you know, most everything is renewable energy, which I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, it's still going to have some sort of negative impact on the environment until that point. Um, but I, you know, I would bet that, like I said, whatever it takes to charge an electric car is probably um, less harmful on the environment than than gas. Oh, yeah. For I mean, for a lot of reasons, too. I mean, um, even just like the, you know, oil and, and coolants and all that kind of stuff that you're not having to put in the, the car. Um, it just makes so much more sense. It was interesting. I, my dad and I were talking about electric vehicles last night, and he was just mentioning that I guess a lot of cab companies or Uber drivers are kind of gravitating towards the Chevy Bolt. I didn't even realize Chevy made uh, a vehicle called the Bolt. I knew there was the Volt, but I was looking it up and it's kind of like a an S or, or not an SUV, but it looks like it's, um, I don't know, sits up higher a little bit than a normal car and has lots of room in the back and everything. And um, people are going to those. And part of the reason, not only the fuel costs, but just the maintenance costs over time. I mean, there's no oil to change. There's no coolant to change. Spark plugs, all that kind of stuff is just non-existent. You think about how many less moving parts are in those cars than than a regular engine. And it's just, you know, hard to argue with, really. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Um, I just pulled up a chart of basically the range of most of the electric vehicles that you can buy right now. And, and, and I already knew this to a certain extent, but I mean, man, really t- nobody's coming close to Tesla, um, as far as their entire lineup goes. And if you're looking for range, um, there's, there's actually nothing, there's no car companies listed on the, the chart that I'm looking at 
that have a range above 300 miles other than Tesla. Yeah. And te- and actually Tesla, ha- uh, other than the Tesla Model 3 standard range and the Tesla Model 3 standard range plus, uh, every other Tesla vehicle, which is six models, have a 300 mile plus range. Um, Are those um, the list that you're looking at? Is that EPA estimates or is it? Yep, these are EPA estimates. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, the only reason I asked that is because Car and Driver just did the Taycan Turbo S versus the Tesla Model S. Um, I believe it was Car and Driver that did that, and they were just you know on paper or per the EPA estimates, there's quite a big delta between the Tesla range and the Porsche range, with Tesla having a pretty big advantage. But in real world testing, they were pretty darn close. So. Um, those EPA tests are, I guess, in a lot of instances, aren't necessarily representative of how people are going to drive these things in the real world. So it'll be interesting as, as time goes by and, and more tests come out like this. There's more electric models to compare and contrast between on you know, EPA figures versus actually real life driving. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, yeah, I'm looking up the the Taycan here, and it says 192 to 201 mm-hmm. miles of battery life, um, which obviously is significantly less. I mean, the the Tesla Model S long range is rated at 370 miles. Um, yeah. But one thing will be interesting too. I don't know if this will ever happen, but you know, you have Mercedes, for example, they have the AMG engine. Well, there's other car companies that use the AMG engine. And so you wonder if at some point, uh, you know, Tesla makes their battery, if there's going to be any other car companies that are going to kind of partner with them to, to buy their battery and, and, you know, it would be powered by a Tesla battery and that could be something that they could advertise. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, that maybe that won't happen. Yeah. So you're, you're hundred percent right. I think that that could definitely happen because if you look at other instances of collaboration in the auto industry, you have BMW and Toyota recently collaborating on an entire platform with the Toyota Supra and the BMW yep. Z4 sharing so much in common. So if they're willing to share an entire platform, drivetrain system, infotainment system, I would think that you'd see some synergies in terms of, you know, battery packs or electric motors or something like that. And things like electric motors, I don't know if there's, if that's kind of like a commodity item or if there's true differentiation, but uh, I don't know if a lot of automakers will opt to manufacture those in-house or there'll be kind of like a third-party supplier uh, for for all of those um, motors. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that'll be interesting to to see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. what, you know, also looking at this list, it's really interesting. So this, this list that I'm looking at, it has the, the price of the cars as well. And it's interesting to look at some of these other luxury brands that have, uh, electric vehicles, such as the Jaguar I-Pace, the Audi e-tron, um, the BMW i3. Um, that's an ugly vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, specifically the Jaguar and the, and the Audi. So the Audi e-tron, uh, is $68,000. You get 204 miles of range. The Jaguar I-Pace 
also $63,000. You get 230 miles worth of range. And so, well, I guess, you know, it'll be interesting, especially with the Tesla Model Y coming out fairly soon. I feel like that's going to be the closest in terms of price um, competing against both of those because they're kind of midsize. But as far as range goes, you're paying a lot of money for not as much range when, you know, with the Tesla Model 3, for example, if you get um, the long range versions, you know, it's costing you $47,000 starting. You're getting 310 miles of range. Mm -hmm. And so it'll just be interesting to see what happens with some of those more expensive brands. Is it, is it really worth customers paying more when they're not getting the performance? Now I can understand on the flip side of that. Um, you look at some of the less expensive brands, you look at the, um, there's a Fiat 500 E I'm not sure if they sell that here anymore or if they ever sold it here. Um, but you have the Nissan leaf $31,000 has 215 miles of range. Mm-hmm. So once you, I feel, I feel like once you get into some of those less expensive cars, then um, the price to range ratio is a little bit better. Right, exactly. And and I think that people are going to be buying these luxury models, not purely for the range. I mean, it's for the, the styling and the prestige, the luxury yeah. of it, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, just like any other car purchase, I think there's a lot of things that goes into the of the purchasing decision. And it'd be interesting to talk to electric car owners and see how big the, the range plays into their decision-making, because I think most people are going to look at their day-to-day life or their commute or whatever, whatever they need to use the vehicle for. And it, as long as it falls within that range, maybe the extra range doesn't mean a whole lot to them. I have no idea. Yeah, that's really hard to say. And and I think it goes back to, like you said, it depends on where you live. It depends on where you work and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, out of all the uh, out of the electric vehicles that are you know on sale today, uh, which one do you think you'd go for, at least in the reasonable price bracket? <laughs> uh, what, what would be your definition of reasonable price? Let's bracket? say under uh, under sixty five thousand. 165,000. I would probably go with the uh Tesla Model 3 long range with the dual motor which I think is around $60,000. Mhm. Yeah, the the Tesla Model 3 long long range all-wheel drive $47,000. Oh, actually and there's a performance version for 55,000. So so probably that honestly. Um I wonder what you because... could get a, have you seen any Teslas on the pre-owned market, I haven't, it's one thing I haven't really checked into is, is to see if, uh, there's any good deals there or if, is there any drawbacks of buying a pre-owned electric car? Like what kind of issues do you run into? Is it, is Mm -hmm. it mileage? Is it, is it a big factor or I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I have not really read much about maintenance issues with electric vehicles. I have no idea you know, what are the first things to go? Um, I would assume for the most part, the batteries probably have very few issues. I mean, there's a ton of electronics, you know, and especially cause a lot of these have tons and tons of safety features as well with sensors and all sorts of stuff. I wonder if, if you can have things kind of get buggy with those, you know? Well, it's nice that Tesla will update software remotely. 
which yeah, is a, true. A, a, a pretty nice thing. You know, you don't have to buy a new car. In a lot of cases, Tesla will give you an over-the-air update and, and fix little bugs and things like that. You don't even have to go to the dealership. Yeah. But so, hey, uh, uh, what, what about you? What, what's yours? What would oh, be your choice? 100% the same choice. I would get a, okay. a Tesla uh, Model 3. I can't say that I love the styling of the car. And actually, some of the wheel offerings are just straight up hideous, in my opinion. Yep. But if I've actually seen a model or two rolling around Memphis with an aftermarket set of wheels, and it really changes the look of the car. It's just not so kind of like soft and round. It gave it, gave it a little bit of personality. So um, I like that. I can't say that my personal taste uh, jives with the interior styling. It's so uh, stark. It's like Bauhaus, very uh, simple. I mean, it is the essence of simplicity. Minimalist. It's just a, just a screen. That's pretty much all you get. It doesn't seem very exciting. Um, it certainly gives people something new, a different experience compared to a traditional interior uh, I don't know that I'd like having my speedo off to the right hand side and have to look down and over to see how fast I'm going. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it'd be interesting to try. I would absolutely love to have one for like six months. Um, somebody wants to hand over the keys. Uh, I'll, I'll swap you cars for a, a minute. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Not to get off on screens, but I, I really like some of the new screens where I don't know if you've seen on like um, Mercedes and I think Cadillac is starting to do this where you, you basically have uh, one screen for the entire um, you know, uh, speedometer area, and it stretches all the way into the center. Um, and it's all just one big, long, connected screen. I think it looks really clean. I saw that at the Nashville Auto Show. I think I saw a Mercedes. It yeah. might have been an E-Series that yep. had that. I can't remember the specific model, but I thought it looked great. I think it makes sense to give the interior more of a cohesive look to it because mm-hmm. all the manufacturers are going to a digital dash anyway. So you have two screens and it can look a little bit clunky. Um, I hated the, I mean, this is going back a few years, but the dual screen setup that you'd have in some of the Honda Accords or the Acuras. So just one screen is enough for me and, and you're, there's less confusion on what goes where. Yeah. Um, Okay, now I actually want to ask you a little bit about trucks, and specifically, for first, obviously, I know everybody, this is like so three weeks ago or a month ago, but the Cybertruck, I want to hear your opinion on yeah. that, and then also, I want to hear your opinion on uh, GMC bringing the Hummer brand back in a way, it sounds like it's going to not, it's not going to be its own brand anymore, it's going to be a model, but it's going to be all electric, uh, uh, essentially trucks and SUVs. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to hear your opinion on that as well. So what 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 were your I guess first thoughts of the Cybertruck when you saw it? I honestly couldn't believe it was a real <laughs> vehicle. The styling was just absolutely shocking. Uh, I I think it looks absolutely horrible. I mean, I or, or beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but it just did nothing for me. It was so simplistic, and I think what really solidified that opinion for me was if you go on Instagram and and you're looking at the Cybertruck, there are multiple people who have done renderings that aren't, you know, a complete departure from what Tesla's done. Uh, they kind of hold true to what uh, Tesla envisioned, but made minor tweaks and made it look so much better. So it's not for me. I'd be interesting. 
you know, if that truly is what's going to roll off the production line, we'll see how it goes, if it'll resonate with people. But uh, just from a design standpoint, I didn't love it. Now the, the whole like exoskeleton thing, that's pretty cool. I feel like a truck buyer would definitely buy into the toughness of that and, and just maybe not having to worry about like dings, especially if it's mm-hmm. in a, in a rough environment. Um, and like the, the glass, even though it kind of failed at the, the live demonstration, the, the tough glass also is, was pretty neat. Um, I think beyond the design of it, the utility makes a lot of sense in just the amount of torque that the electric motors generate will it be effective in towing large payloads large distances that's that's a whole nother question um i haven't looked into to that part but um if it you know i know tesla's made the semi trucks which i think makes a ton of sense i like the idea of electric trucks in the commercial segment almost more than i do in the uh uh, private sector for now. But anyway, as, as it stands currently, not a huge fan. Would love to see one in, in person, but uh, I didn't have the best or most positive reaction to it. Uh, what did you think about it? Yeah. Um, so first of all, yeah, just like you, I mean, when I first saw it, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was, I mean, I thought it was a joke. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel two ways about it. Part of me, thinks it's hideous and that, you know, they, they absolutely should make changes to it before it comes out. But the other part of me thinks that it's cool that like there's a company that's pushing the envelope like this. And even if they do, even if this is what it's essentially going to look like, um, it's cool that it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to look at. It gets people talking there. I feel like everybody plays it so safe for the most part that it, that it is kind of cool to see uh, a company, you know, pushing the envelope every single time they come out with something. I mean, Tesla right now is almost like, you know, Apple was in the early 2000s. Like every time they had an announcement for for their new product or the next generation of a certain product, there were like huge, big changes, revolutionary new technologies and stuff that people had never seen before. And so it's exciting to see that. Um, I mean, when, when everyone first saw the iPhone, they're like, what, you know, everyone at, at that time, you either had a BlackBerry or you you had a flip phone for the most part, and it, it was you know the first time people saw it, it's like oh it's just this this piece of this flat piece of glass. It doesn't even have a curve to it. it doesn't look like a phone. Um, it doesn't look like a phone should. And now that's all people use. So that's I wonder true. if it's the same same sort of thing a little bit in that you know yeah it, we we may think it's hideous, but the more you look at it and the more you get used to it, the less strange it looks and. I think those are actually really good points. I uh, agree with a lot of what you said there. And I'm happy that someone is doing that because it makes things interesting, gives people something to talk about. It's always fun seeing something that you've never seen before. It'll just be interesting to see if it's actually a commercial success. But I agree with you that they're pushing the envelope and they're daring to do things that, that others are unwilling to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it pays off for them and I want to see the company do well. Um, I think that, uh, time will tell obviously, but yeah, for me, I think I'll, I'll stick with their, their car designs for now. Yeah. And I think these, these technologies that they're coming out with and the capabilities that their cars have are 
pushing the electric car industry forward in a way that it never would have if they didn't exist. Um, it would be obviously impossible, but it would be so interesting to, if you could, in an alternate universe, look at what the electric car community would look like right now without Tesla. Um, you know, you might have like the, the bolt and the, um, what was the other Chevy? Oh, the Volt. The, the Volt and the Bolt. The Volt and the Bolt. You might, you know, you might have some of those cuz I think those may have come out before Tesla, I can't remember. But either way, you you might have some, but um I don't think you'd you'd have anywhere near um the the amount of electric vehicles that you have right now and I don't think that anyone would be putting near the amount of money into the research and development of these electric vehicles and these batteries and so on as you would if Tesla was not leading the way like they are. Oh, I, I I completely agree. I think that's a fair fair comment and glad someone's doing it and glad it's uh it's an American company that's doing it as well. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So, okay, so speaking of American companies and trucks and SUVs, so um Hummer, like I said, is going to be coming out with uh or GMC is going to be coming out with essentially a Hummer uh you know, we, th- there's been no pictures of it yet. There was kind of a They've they've had some ads um, that just kind of show uh, the front grill of it, and and who knows that could not be a final design. But um, what are your thoughts on Hummer in general and 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 creating an an all electric, um, you know Hummer because obviously Hummers are originally known as just gas guzzlers. So yeah, I think it's pretty cool. You know, when you look at the the GM lineup and take a look at what cars come to mind. You've got the Corvette, you've got the Escalade, Camaro. They're kind of big brand names that everybody is familiar with. And I think even though Hummer hasn't been around for a while, it still holds a lot of weight. You know, you say Hummer and people kind of automatically think back to either, you know, the the you know the H1 military Hummer or the H2. So I think people still know what that that brand name is and what it represents. So the fact that they're coming out with an electric model, I think is awesome. I haven't actually seen much on it, but uh, I liked the styling on the, the Hummers, uh, or at least the last ones they produced. One of my neighbors had one when I lived um, downtown and he said it was one of the best vehicles he'd ever owned. So I think it's really cool. They're resurrecting it. I have no problem with it all and, and hope that it, it does well. Um, what have you heard about it? I really haven't heard much at all other than kind of what I just told you. Um, I, mm-hmm. I completely agree with everything you just said. Um, when I was growing up, the Hummer was like my absolute favorite car. Like I was obsessed with it. Um, you, you, you rarely saw uh, an H1 uh, civilian Hummer on the road. I mean, you just, if you did, it was, to me, it was a huge deal. I thought that I mean, it, it, they almost took up an entire lane. They were so wide and um, just kind of menacing to see. I mean, they're just cool. Um, and, you know, w- whenever we'd go to the state fair every year, you'd have the whatever, the Army and the Navy, they'd all have their little stations and they'd always have a Hummer there. And I love to just like go sit in it when I was, you know, 10, 12 years old. Um, there was just something about how it looked. I think that I just thought it was so cool. Um, I uh, I was in Moab, Utah, uh, 
at, at one point in time and I did a, an off-road Hummer tour, which was really cool. You got to like ride around in these Hummers and it was awesome how, you know, they have the ability to deflate and inflate the tires depending on what sort of terrain they're going over. Um, and you know, the original, um, H1 Hummers had a lot of ground clearance, especially, uh, you, you know, compared to the H2 and the H3 that they came out later, they had a lot of ground clearance. Um, I was not a fan whatsoever of the H2 or the H3. I thought they were bulbous. I thought they were, I, 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 I've actually sat inside an H2 and an H3 and they were just plasticky and everything was big what, and do you know what year they stopped producing that i have to look it up i'm curious to, um, to see yeah look it up I, I i can't remember but um just everything was just had kind of a cheap plastic oversized feel to it um and, well, I, and I, guess, I really I mean, didn't that, like that at all so i looked it up and and they were made from 2002 to 2009 and that makes sense i mean gm wasn't producing the best interiors during those mm-hmm. years in general i don't mm-hmm. know that, that those comments are specific to the hummer they were probably representative of most of gm's lineup at the time true and i yeah. think things have gotten better so hopefully the, the i think that uh you know it's a good opportunity for them to you know talk about reinventing yourself for them to resurrect the hummer name but you know maybe they could make it something else i don't know if they'll go the luxury route or if they're going to go pure utility but uh yeah i'm the, <laughs> i'm sure that the interior was was lacking i never got to to really ride in one so uh interesting to hear your thoughts on it i i remember sitting in an h1 and remember how wide they were but half the interior space was taken up by the drive line because yeah. i guess they had to route the uh I don't know, the drive shaft through the interior so it could get the ground clearance or so it was protected. Yep. Um, probably won't have to deal with that with the electric. So that, that'll be good. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called, but they had the, um, yeah, the drivetrain were basically, you'd actually have a gear above where the wheel sitting that would be turning the wheel. I don't know what it's called. I don't want to, I, I don't want to, even guess yeah. but yeah you you described it exactly right um i mean you the the, the amount of room that on, on a an h1 that you had between the driver and the passenger was like you you can barely even reach over and touch them <laughs> i mean <laughs> it was so much they were separate zip codes i think yeah i mean in the in, in fact in the back i know in the civilian ones you so you could you'd have a seat on each side and then you could actually get two seats in the middle up on that hump wow in the middle so you, so you could actually have a six passenger Hummer, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I really hope if they do it, they take most of the styling cues from the H one. Um, I, you know, I, I, I hope it's not quite as big because I do think the H one was, it, it is too big of a vehicle to be parking and, and driving around in, in, you know, yeah. busy like urban areas Raptor, and stuff like that. Crazy wide. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I don't think I want it to be that wide, but I also don't want it to look anything like the H2. Um, I mean, that thing's just an, a, a big, ugly box. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. well, I'm anxious to see more come out on that as well. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't really know when the release dates are actually. I haven't seen much on it at all. No. So, um, yeah. Uh, anything else you can think of? Yeah, I think we can kind of wrap things up 
there for today on our uh, finish of our first podcast. Um, we need to do some sort of outro. <laughs> I could just try something and just okay. see. Yeah, sounds good. Um, well, that's going to wrap it up for episode one. So like I said, technically, uh, this is our second episode. We're counting it as our first episode because we were just kind of getting all the kinks worked out for episode zero. So um, if you guys are still listening, <laughs> we appreciate you listening till the end. And uh, like Alan mentioned in the beginning, we're going to try to be a lot more consistent about this. So um, hopefully you will be seeing another podcast from us soon. Until next time. <laughs>